Um, this morning, uh, we have my dad coming to minister the word. Um, truly is the greatest man I know, and I'm incredibly thankful for him. And uh, him and my mom, like, gosh, there's like 101 things I want to say right now. Uh, but a few things. Last week, we, we, we talked about how the testimonies in this room are the faithfulness of a few people praying. And I talked about John and Ruby and how they prayed. And, and a couple of those people in this room are my mom and my dad who sacrificed and gave their, their time and their, their finances and, their, and their, their tears for this place. And, and some of you, you don't know them. And, and we're okay with that because the kingdom of God isn't about making each other famous. The kingdom of God is about making Jesus famous. And it's perfectly okay that you're in this room today and you don't know um, my mom and dad because that was never their goals for you to know them. Um, but it's also perfectly okay for us this morning to honor what God has done in this man's life and honor the way he surrendered to the Lord so that we can be sitting in this room today. And so if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me and honor the man of God as he comes and honor the father of this house as he comes to bring in the word of the Lord this morning. I love you, Dad. Thank you. Go ahead and be finding um, Luke chapter 1, verse 59. Those of you that know me know that I learned years ago that go ahead and jump in and get started without a lot of fanfare on the front end, pays off on the back end. Luke chapter 1. Verse 59, and it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, not so. Someone say, not so. Let me annoy you and say, look at your neighbor and say, not so. But he shall be called John. And they said unto her, there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. My text today, there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip 
tetrarch of Ituria and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God bypassed them all. And came unto John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Everyone say, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As many of you know, on you wouldn't necessarily remember the date, but on July the 30th, 1980, I preached my first sermon in a biker bar in a little town in Kansas. My audience was about two dozen outlaw bikers, of which I was able within a few days to baptize one and hear him testify at church. And then some churches started wanting me to come and preach, and that was okay. But next year, the early, early the next year, I moved to Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I was a student at Oklahoma State University and fell in with a group of guys that believed like John Wesley did that all the world was their parish. And so we did what John Wesley did. We preached on the campus of Oklahoma State University on Tuesdays and Thursday evenings and witness to people and were able to baptize mostly Muslims. Muslims would listen to us, the Christians. Those that had been raised in Christian churches wouldn't, but those that had been raised with the, with the Koran would. And we were able to baptize some of them and disciple them to the extent we knew what to teach them. A few years later, the Lord brought me to Carroll County, Arkansas. And we started a church with John and Ruby that's now known as Bearville Christian Fellowship. But it started here in the building right next door. And for about two years on Saturday nights during the warm months, if the weather was good, I preached on the town square in Green Forest. There was a um, there were two taverns on the square more importantly there was a youth rec center there would be 35 to 40 teenagers there all the time on saturday evenings and most of them would come out and sit and listen to the preaching and i would i would sit on the square and wait for an appointed time and and if if i didn't start quite on time one of them would actually come out usually and talk to me and say hey preacher we have in church tonight and they would listen and shoot bottle rockets at me and Roman candles, 
but they would listen and then come and apologize for shooting at me. <laughs> said, hey, this is just all be part of my testimony someday, guys. We left here for a couple of years, went to Tulsa, and we're part of a church called Higher Dimensions, where I was once again with their street evangelism team. We go into North Tulsa into the projects and preach the gospel there. And um, the Lord, in answer to our prayer, and I don't know, maybe John and Ruby's brought us back to Green Forest, and, um, um, and then he gave us revival. And how that changed everything was it was now no longer I alone in the town squares, but the worship team was gone, and prayer teams were gone, and one-on-one evangelists were gone, and there'd be 15, 20, 25, 30 of us going. And uh, we did the Basin Park in Eureka Springs, the Barryville Square, as did BCF. Was, uh, there were times we were over there, they were in the square preaching the gospel and worshiping the Lord. And, and um, I keep motioning at, at Steve. But that's where they were. And, and, um, uh, and then, of course, in Green Forest. And I, I, we saw actual revival. Uh, we, when we went to Northern Ireland once, we heard them telling stories about when John Wesley preached in Coleraine in Northern Ireland and, and people were slain under the power of God in the streets of Coleraine. And we saw that uh, on the town square in Green Forest. I remember one night in particular... There were people laying all over the grass under the power of God. And they weren't church people. They were people that came out of the taverns. When I stepped aside in January of 2015 and left here, some of you may have wondered where I went, but for about the next 18 months, I spent time preaching in houses around Afton, Grove, Monkey Island, Oklahoma, and spent about three years off and on preaching in the city park in Afton. Some of you were there with me a few times. Then we ended up in Cassville. And our first ministry in Cassville was not in the church, it was in the city park. And again, there there are people here that were with me there as we preached. What's what's my point of all of that? Not like you're just talking about yourself. My point is this. I have never in 42 years complained that I didn't have a place to preach. For it seems to me there's plenty of places to preach. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of this stuff came about because of an event that happened on July 29th, 1980. Tuesday night at the campground in Stillwell, Oklahoma, when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I experienced several things that night that you can go to Acts chapter 2 and talk about when the day of Pentecost was fully come. But one of the things that I experienced that marks me to this day is that I, I felt like God was speaking to me and saying that I was to preach His Word. So whatever else happened was great, but that marked me. And I was to to preach His Word. And indeed, when Jesus was looking ahead to Acts chapter 2, and He was talking to His disciples in Acts 1, He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. So the purpose of what was coming wasn't just so you could shout, dance, and have a good time in your prayer closet. There was a purpose for it, and that was that the gospel might go forth. That's the reason for the present. And then there was a, in, in response to a direct question by those who were there that day in Acts chapter 2 and observing what was going on, and they asked directly, what does this mean? And Peter answered and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all flesh. Everyone say all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I always thought that meant it just... We sleep more. <laughs> I take a big nap every day. That's the subject of some controversy in my family. <clears throat> Jamie said, Dad, it, what do you, I said, it's a power nap. She said, you lay on your couch for an hour and a half in the office. A power nap's ten minutes. I said, this is a very, very power nap. <laughs> I own the place. Get out of here. So we dream dreams. And all my men servants and all my maiden servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I would say all flesh. Say, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say, all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. What is the answer for a moment in time like we're living in? Many of you had hopes a couple of weeks ago that through the ballot box we might turn the tide on some things. But you found that 50% of this nation is actually for those things. What is the answer in an hour? 1 Timothy 3 says, In the last days perilous times will come, men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. There has to be an answer for that. If you don't believe there needs to be, you fall into one of two categories. Either you're very ignorant of what the Scripture says, and I don't mean that term in an ugly way, but in, in the way that it literally means. You don't know. You haven't 
been into the book and found out that these things that I just talked about grieve the heart of God. The things that we're dealing with in our generation grieve the Holy Spirit and cause the judgment of God to fall upon nations. Maybe you don't know that. The answer for that is for you to read. But it could be that you're such a friend of the world that you just can't stand against it. The Bible says, Love not the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Friendship with the world, the Scripture says, is enmity against God. So there's some that you know in your heart that the Word of God stands against the things you tolerate. How many times have I had it said to me just in the last six months, well, D, it's different if you know someone with the problem. It's not different. You, you know the Word of God stands against it. It makes you sick in your heart when you're confronted by it, but you're more afraid of losing your friends at school or at work than you are losing the friendship of God. You know the Word is true. You know the Word rebukes those things. But you can't find it in your heart to stand against it. Because you're more afraid of losing your friends than you are of losing the friendship of God. That's the church in America. What's the answer? Well, there is an answer. The answer is this. God raises up a man or a woman, touches them with a measure of insanity, sets their hair on fire, and sends them out with a message. See, we want revival. Which means we want Jesus. Because I think we understand here that you don't get revival without Jesus. But Jesus wasn't going to come unless John came first. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 it says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Remember when Jesus was talking to His disciples and they were starting to figure out who He was. And they said, okay, we're, we're, we're figuring out who you are. You're the one who was to come. But, but why do the Scriptures say Elijah must come first? And remember what Jesus said. If you'll receive it, John is Elijah. Who was to come? John came in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare. Everyone say prepare. Amen. Remember, every mountain had to be brought low. Every valley had to be filled. Every crooked place made straight. Every rough place smooth. Why? Because when God comes, according to Psalm 50, a fire goes before Him and it's very tempestuous all around. See, when God comes, you don't get... He doesn't have a revival hat and a judgment hat. 
And whatever hat he happens to be wearing, that's what you get. No, he just comes, and wherever you're at, that's what you get. So in his mercy, he sends a forerunner. Everyone say forerunner. He sends a forerunner to, to prepare the way lest His coming bring destruction rather than a blessing. Are you hearing? So in an hour, when, and I, I've got where, unfortunately you can't believe everything you hear in church, so I've gotten where I check stuff out because I know the people I'm preaching to will. They'll fact check you on the fly. So I got on Facebook yesterday just to find out how many gender options I had. Rather than just quote Michael Brown. I had 37. So in an hour when they want to have the right to take your 12-year-old son without your permission and do gender reassignment surgery. They want to be able to codify Roe v. Wade. They told us if we get control of the House, I will do that in January, our president said. I will send that in January. Make it permanent. And listen, over 48% of our nation voted for that two weeks ago. Listen, we just had a massive wave of judgment called COVID-19. You can have your own opinion on it. People asked me during the time, how come you're not saying too much about it? I said, because I'm afraid. I wasn't afraid in the way some people were afraid. Oh, I'm afraid. No, I was afraid because I saw it as the judgment of God. It wasn't the COVID I was afraid of, it was God. And yet, the church in America did not repent. No repentance. And I look at things like the book of Joel, and I see that when God sends judgment, He sends it in waves. And the next wave is stronger. And I'm wondering, what's coming at us next? It's all a manifestation of what they said in the parable that Jesus talked about where they said, we will not have this man rule over us. You want a Jesus. A loving, gracious Jesus that died for your sin, but you will not have him rule over you. The answer is for the Spirit of God to come upon a generation and raise up preachers. In Jeremiah 23.18, it says, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard His word? Who has marked His word and heard it? And then in verse 22 it says, if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, 
then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. We need those upon whom the Spirit of God falls, causes them to stand in the counsel of the Lord and hear the word of the Lord and mark it. Somebody that goes into a closet with God and comes out with a word. Why am I here today? I'm here on assignment. First of all, there are, there are people in this room right now that God is calling you to preach. Some of you, that might come as a shock to you today. This will be the day you'll look back and say, yeah, that was the day. Others of you, you've been wrestling with it for a while. And today's your tipping point. I'm also here, I'm after those of you that already know that, and there's two groups of you. Some of you that already know it, you've already acknowledged it. On the surface, you're not fighting against it, but you're not doing it. And then the last group I'm going for, you know it, you're doing it, but you need some fire. You need a closet. You need to come out of it with some fire. God, in moments of crisis, He, he, he finds someone, He touches them with a measure of insanity, He sets their hair on fire, He gives them a word, and He sends them. I'm not talking about pastoring. If you're called to pastor, great, do it. I'm here today talking about preaching. God's done this in the past. Remember when the Israelites were in, in uh, Egypt and destruction was coming. Now, the Pharaoh had already tried to wipe out a whole generation of male infants. Don't think that wasn't going to happen again. So destruction is coming. And uh, he awakens a groan. Everyone say, awaken a groan. A groan went up from the children of Israel. You wonder why, well, why God leave them there 400 years? God came within a short period of time after the groan started. He awakened the groan and then He came to Moses in a burning bush and said, I've heard the groaning of my people in Egypt. Stirred him up. And so the Bible says of Moses that when he'd come of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He gave all that up. He repudiated friendship with the world. Are you hearing? He rejected the friendship with the world, which means what? 
God's enemies are now His enemies. Beloved, God's enemies are my enemies. Now that doesn't mean I need to be hateful and mean. Hello? Because I'm called to love my enemies. Amen? The wrath of man, I remind myself of this daily, and the less I watch Fox News, the less I have to remind myself. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of Christ. My fleshly anger isn't going to help anything. But they're still my enemies. If they're the enemy of God, they're my enemy. And David said in Psalm 139, he said, Do I, do I not hate them who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Now I'm not sure exactly what that means. You'd have to ask Steve. Or look it up. Good resources. Amen. I'm not sure it means exactly the way it leaps off the page at us. But I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, hey bro, you do you. Hey my friend, live your truth. Come on. God stirred up this man Moses and the word of the Lord came forth, brought deliverance. A little while later, Nahash the Ammonite comes against Jabesh Gilead. Now destruction is coming and it's coming quickly. Now, Gilead was kind of the, the, the outer regions. Two and a half tribes had asked the Lord's permission to, to um, settle in Gilead rather than come into what was supposed to be their land of promise. Moses allowed them. But now they're subject to attack because if you don't go all the way in, if you're going to hang out next to the enemy's stuff, you're the first one to get attacked. Hello. And so, Nahash the Ammonite comes against them and he, he, he lays siege to Jabesh Gilead. And the men of Jabesh, rather than fight, send word to, to Nahash and say, tell us what the terms of our surrender are. Like saying to a culture, now tell us how we can all get along. We don't want to be enemies. Nahash said, all right, you want to surrender? Let me gouge out the right eye of every man in the city. Leave you half blind and without dignity. And only then will I let you serve me as a slave. Here's what's amazing in the story. They said, give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel. See if anyone will come to our aid. And he's so cocky and arrogant, he said, fine, send them. What kind of a messenger are you going to send? 
In seven days, they're going to gouge out your right eye and take your wives and children. And you're all going to live in slavery for the rest of your life. What kind of a messenger? Somebody who can tell a joke? A funny story? Somebody who's pretty? Who can strut sitting down? How many know you're going to send somebody who knows how to get down to the bottom line? Hello. Who knows how to go straight to the point? Look. Nahash is outside our city. They're going to gouge out our eyes. They're going to take our wives and children. And we have less than a week. Are you hearing? So they tell the, they tell the story in the hearing of the people. And the people begin to weep. Just as the groaning started in Egypt. The people begin to weep. Why do they weep? Because they, they, they told this story and they're hearing the people begin to weep. See, I, when, when the revival came, at first there was such weeping, and brokenness before the Lord. And then over the years it turned into laughter. I'm all for laughter, but Laughter has never turned a nation that was in rebellion against God, only weeping. Joel didn't say, let them laugh between the porch and the altar. Let them weep between the porch and the altar and say, spare thy people, O God. Now Saul had already been anointed as king. But after his anointing as king, he just went home. And kept doing what he was doing. He, he didn't do anything. And if you read 1 Samuel, Nahash the Ammonite was actually the reason why they asked for a king. He was the tipping point. 1 Samuel, I believe it's 12, 12 says they, that Nahash was the reason they wanted a king. And so they got a king and Nahash is on the prowl. He's doing nothing. All right? I want to share something with you now. Those of you that do know me know that for 18 years I've given my heart and soul and life to the global prayer movement. I believe in prayer. I believe in corporate prayer. I believe in all the things that we've been taught on prayer, but I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. It's not enough. In Ezekiel chapter 22, there's a verse that we apply to prayer. Verse 30, 31 says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way I have recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. And that's, that's our prayer thing, stand in the gap. But look what's actually going on here. If you look in Ezekiel 22, there's a leadership problem. In verse 25, it says there's a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. The, the prophets have all gotten together and they're saying the same thing. And I promise you, anytime the prophets get together and they're all saying the same thing, the same thing they're saying is peace and safety, everything's great. 
So there's a conspiracy of the prophets. Verse 26, then her priests have violated my law. The ministry is compromised and in sin. The prophets have gotten together and borrowed each other's word, Jeremiah says. And they're all saying the same thing. The ministry is in compromise and sin. So then that leads to something. Verse 27, her princes in the midst are like wolves ravening the prey. And you look on it, you you watch it on the news, you see it on TV, you see the leaders of our nation, it's hard for me to even look at them because they're wolves. Ravening the prey. Why? Because there is no spiritual force standing up against them because we have prophets who are prophesying lies that they borrowed from each other And we have a ministry that is as worldly as the world it's supposed to confront. You guys all right? And so that leads to something. Therefore, verse 29, the people of the land have used oppression. So the the people are in the street. The people are in the street doing wickedness. Why? Because there's, there's no... There's nothing holding them back. Therefore, I sought for a man among them. Yeah, to pray, deep. No, no. Ezekiel 13, 3-5. He says, thus says the Lord God. This should give us our context. Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. Ye have not gone up into the gaps... Neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Must we pray? Yes. But the standing in the gap and making up the hedge is the preaching and proclaiming of the word of the Lord. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for an intercessor in Ezekiel 22. He's looking for somebody to stand up and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. He's looking for somebody that has been in the closet with God, that has stood in His counsel, and is now coming out and declaring His Word. Can you say amen? Amen. Somebody has to preach the message. And so what do they do? They begin to preach these messengers that came from Jabesh Gilead. They begin to share the message. Saul shows up and says, why do the people weep? And so they bring Him the messengers and they declare Him the message. And something amazing happens. The Spirit of God falls upon Saul. What would happen, beloved, if we had men and women of God who stood in the counsel of the Lord, heard His Word and marked it, and came out and and delivered a message that would cause the Spirit of God to fall upon the political leaders of our generation? Because they've been with God. And Saul raises an army overnight of 330,000 men of war and delivers Jabesh. And never goes home to farm it again. Are you hearing? It's, see, Israel, Paul speaks in Romans 10, and he's speaking about Israel. And destruction is coming. Romans is written in the mid-50s. Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 A.D. Destruction is less than 20 years away. Now, Paul doesn't know it's less than 20 years away, but he does know it's coming. 
And so destruction is coming. And Paul is praying about it. Because he starts Romans 10 with, Beloved, my heart's desire and prayer to God, prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. Moses says of the righteousness of the law, the man who does these things shall live by them. What is the righteousness which is a face? They do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Him up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all. Who call upon Him, watch out. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach Unless they are sent. Somebody has to preach. Listen, you will never turn a nation with prayer alone. Which means you will never turn a nation with worship alone. Don't get offended if your call is worship. Somebody in this room is called to go into a closet and hear from God and come out and preach. And if they don't, Someone has to get a vision from God. It says, devil, you're not going to have my city. You're not going to have my nation. Jeremiah loved to pray and hated to preach. And uh, once again, destruction was coming in that generation. And, it, and he hated it. And in the midst of that, with destruction coming in his generation, the Lord said something really interesting to him. You love to pray? Don't pray for these people anymore. What? No. Don't pray for them. Preach to them. And he wasn't real happy with that. He said, you induced me. Oh, Lord, you induced me. One translation says, you deceived me. I've, I often wondered. I think it's what it is. It was in Jeremiah 1. God said, I'm going to raise you up, make you a prophet to the nations. And for 48 years, he just preached in Jerusalem. Come on, you deceived me. But you live in Green Forest, Arkansas, and you're reading this stuff, so guess what? He was a prophet to the nations, but not during his lifetime. And 
Lord, you've deceived me. He said, you induced me, and, and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I and have prevailed. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. But when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. And every preacher in this room has said some version of that in their life. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. The fire shut up in your bones is not the shouting fire you got at your last worship service. The fire shut up in your bones is when you have stood in His counsel, you've heard and marked His Word, and now it's burning inside of you, and you need to preach it. <laughs> but you know, all hell's going to break loose, and I don't mean that as a... I mean it literally. All hell's going to break loose when you do, and the Lord doesn't seem to have your back in the way you would like Him to because they lower you down into manure... Come on. And beat you and put you in stocks and all of these things. And so, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. But it was like a fire shut up in my bones. So it was like God could just light the fire and back up and say, yeah, yeah, it's up to you. Don't preach if you don't want to. You want to sit? Sit. A contemporary of, July, of Jeremiah was Ezekiel. Younger contemporary during the same period of time. But he was in Babylon because... Some of them had already been taken captive to Babylon and he was, he was of those. And the Lord said to him, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Obviously, there's, there's an aspect there. He's talking about the law and reading, but, but I think it's deeper than that. I think there's a prayer aspect there. Prayer in the Word. And he's saying, look, eat. That's how you eat the scroll rather than just have a Bible study. Prayer and the word, and he says, Eat it, and then go stand and speak. One of the great encouragements to prayer in our generation of the prayer movement is Queen Esther. And one of the great stories in the Bible, she supernaturally becomes queen of the entire known world through a beauty contest. There's so much you can preach on there. But a declaration has gone forth to kill all the Jews in just a few months. And she's a Jew. And her uncle, Mordecai, comes to her and says, you need to go to your husband, the king, and put a stop to this. And you know the story. She resists at first. And says, Do not think that you and your father's house will escape, for the deliverance will arise from another place, but you and your father's house will and then he makes this statement that we all love. He said, who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so what does she do? She says, pray for me fast. I will go in in three days. And she goes in and it's a type of prayer. She's going in before the king to ask for deliverance for her people. And, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful story. And it's a wonderful application to our generation of intercessors. And I don't want to back up on that at all. I just want to add something to it. How come we never talk about the one that talked to her? 
when Mordecai, her uncle, came to her and said, who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Do you not think he had already processed that through in his own mind for his own life? That he had already said to himself, Mordecai, who knows if you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And his assignment wasn't to intercede before the king. His assignment was to preach the message to the intercessor that would cause the Spirit of God to come upon her so she would do it. And without him, there's no her. Without him going to her, she never goes to the king. And the Jews die. Are you hearing? He preaches the word that causes the Spirit of God to come up on the intercessors. Do you understand? We need intercession, but we need intercession that's fueled by the Word and the Spirit of God. In one of my books that I wrote for youth, I don't know which one, what, which one it was, but one of them, I was trying to find them this morning. That, anyway, that stirs up all kinds of angst in our family, so I'll pass But in prayer, I, I talk about, look, if, if your prayer, you get, you get the word that your parents were just in a car wreck and they're in ICU and they don't know if they're going to make it. If the intensity of your prayer in that moment is no different than you praying over your math exam, you miss the point of prayer. We need, listen, I love the prayer movement. I love that we're willing to sit for decades in the presence of the Lord. And sing and meditate and stare at our Bibles. I've done it. But sometimes you have to pray like your hair's on fire. Sometimes the answer you need, you need today. If my child's in the hospital and they don't know if he's going to make it, my answer, I don't, what I don't want to hear is, hey brother, I'm going to meditate for you and stare at my Bible and just soak. No, I want you to rattle some cages. I, I need somebody to pray like we need an answer. I need somebody to pray like we expect an answer. We have to have that kind of praying to ever turn a nation. We've, we need intercessors that the Word of the Lord has come upon them. One of the ways is through the preaching of the Word that has caused something to explode in their heart, and now they're praying like it's all on them, and it has to happen this week, and they're believing God to turn a nation. There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. The angel had appeared to Zacharias in the holy place, told him, your prayer has been answered. 
what what prayer is that? Oh, you know the one you prayed 40 years ago? Poor kid. Oh. How do I know? The angel gets a little surly, right? I stand in the presence of the Lord. You'll not be able to talk until this baby is born. And so at the time when John was born, he still wasn't able to talk. So they're, they're, they're going to name him. The relatives are going to name him. God is doing something at a critical moment in history. Because it, but he's going to need a preacher. You understand how important that is? He needed a preacher before the Messiah could come. Before the Son of God could come and do what he did, so that we're all here today, there had to be a preacher. Before. Because God wants to do a new thing. And definitely a new thing needs to be done. I used to say this when I was here. If we're not careful, history will record that we lost a nation while we saved our ministries. We need young preachers to hear God and respond to the call. We need some old preachers to get their fire back. Say, How do you know we need fire? Because we don't have urgency. If we don't have fire, we don't have urgency. If we don't have urgency, we don't have fire. Alright? And the lack of urgency in prayer and the lack of urgency in preaching follow the same train tracks. My preaching Bibles have things written in the front of them. I write things in there to remind myself. Here's one, Richard Baxter, the old Puritan, said this, I preached as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men. Where's that kind of urgency in our preaching? Robert Murray McShane said this, As I was walking in the fields, the thought came over me with almost overwhelming power that every one of my flock must soon be in heaven or hell. Oh, how I wish that I had a tongue like thunder, that I might make all hear, or that I had a frame like iron, that I might visit everyone and say, Escape for your life, all sinner. You little know how I fear that you will lay the blame of your damnation at my door. Tell them in Cassville, every single one of the 3,000 people that live in, the, live in this city will be in heaven or hell within 110 years. That's not urgent. We know how to do it. We know how to preach. We're skilled at exegesis, but our preaching moves no one. We can do church. Story is told of the Chinese pastor that was asked, he came here and visited and was asked about the American church. He said, the thing that impressed me most about the church in the United States is how much they can do without God. Tozer said this 70 years ago, if the Holy Spirit were taken away from the church in America, 90% of what they're doing would continue with no change. You want to pray? Then pray for this. Raven Hill said it this way, preaching without unction kills instead of giving life. 
The unctionless preacher is a savor of death unto death. The word does not live unless the unction is upon the preacher. Preacher, with all thy getting, get unction. Victory is not won in the pulpit by firing intellectual bullets or wisecracks, but in the prayer closet. It is won or lost before the preacher's foot enters the pulpit. Away with this palsied, powerless preaching, which is unmoving because it was born in a tomb instead of a womb and nourished in... How many of you miss Ravenhill? And nourished in a fireless, prayerless soul. We may preach and perish, but we cannot pray and perish. If God called us to the ministry, then, dear brethren, I contend that we should get unctionized. With all thy getting, get unction, lest barren altars be the bait of our unctionless intellectualism. But if we do this, it's going to put us at odds with the church crowd. Europe, I've been to Europe ten times. Europe has the most highly trained ministry in the world. The most highly trained Christian ministry in the world is in Europe. And Europe is the least Christian place on the planet. 2% of Europe is born again. We met a man in Wales who was from, he called it a village outside London. It was about an hour outside London. The village had 17,000 people in it. And he said he was the only born again Christian that he knew of in the whole village. Five hundred years, you look at the Reformation, five hundred years of the best theology in the history of the church has left Europe thoroughly non-Christian. Now don't get me wrong, I love seminary and I've met some of the most wonderful men of God there. But beloved, we have to have a fire on our souls. I'm here to be a vessel for the voice of God Primarily today to call somebody to preach and to preach like this. And you can't learn to preach in seminary. I'm not saying don't go to Bible school, whatever. You can learn to study and you can learn speaking skills. But you learn to preach in the wilderness. This is something I used to tell Drew a lot. It's another Robert Murray McShane not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God a word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart full of God's spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin so after first rejecting the religious crowd's attempt to name you because anything you can name, you can define. And anything you can define, you can control. None of your relatives is called by this name. None of us have ever done it like that. Oh, by all means, we're losing a nation, but let's all do it the same way. God is going to do something they have absolutely no grid for. The law and the prophets, the Bible says, until John, where until John, since then, the kingdom of God is preached. This is all going to change. So he takes him into the wilderness. Now, this is the way. Even the Son of God went this way. This is the only way to get to be a preacher. Who dares to be alone with God? And I don't mean leaving church. Listen, I was thinking about this morning. Other than... Snowstorms and 
global pandemics, when the church is closed, I bet I can count on two hands the times I've missed Sunday morning church in 42 years. I'm not saying don't go to church. You can go to the wilderness and never miss a service. You can be in the wilderness in a service. Sometimes. As I said, I'm not, I'm not specifically talking about people called to be pastors. If you're called to be a pastor, be one. But what we don't need are more pastors that aren't called to preach. Because I, I think I've, I've ran into men who were really just called to be deacons. They, they really just wanted to serve people and serve the church, but they had nothing on them. Jeremiah 23, 29, it's not my word like fire declares the Lord like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. There was nothing in what they declared that would break a rock in pieces and set things on fire. Listen, young men, young women, you are not going to get the word of the Lord watching Fox News. Or even in church. Look what he said. There was, a, there was a Caesar, there was a governor, there's a couple of tetrarchs. Word of God bypassed them all. You need a high priest? They had two. That's a problem, but they had them. So if that was the answer, if religion was the answer, they had two. And the Word of God bypassed them. I watch funerals sometimes online I'm into that of men and women of God and David Wilkerson how many know who David Wilkerson I started to say was he is he's still alive somewhere he's just not on the planet I watched his his memorial service at Times Square Church where he had pastored for years and for the last 17 years uh, that he pastored uh, the next pastor um, I remember his name now was there with him and he's the one telling this story and so David Wilson was a student of the word David Wilson was a man that he you know when usually if it's Sunday morning and I'm saying God give me a word I was lazy all week This is not David Wilkerson, but he said, I stood there for 17 years beside that man while he would, during the worship service, be crying out to God, saying, God, give me a word. This wasn't a man that didn't say, this wasn't a man that didn't prepare. This, this, he probably had a sermon in his notebook. But he, now he's standing there before the people of God, knowing that they need to hear from God. Not just more exegesis. And he would plead. He said for 17 years, I heard him plead, God, give me a word. Give me a word, God. Give me a word. 
go down into the wilderness and say, God, give me a word. And the grace and the boldness to preach it. And then come out of the wilderness. John came out of the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance, remission of sin. For some reason, I just, because I am a prayer guy, it took me to the Song of Solomon, where she came out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. And her brothers said, who is this? It was amazing because it's just like them trying to name John. Oh, let's call him Zacharias. No, his name is John. Well, no, none of us, none of us are named John. No, no, that's not how we do things. They stood and said, no, his name's John, and now he's in the wilderness, and now he comes out. And, and so this, this young lady in Song of Solomon, her brother said to her, you're nothing, you're, your breasts are too small. And they weren't making untoward comments about her physique. It was, they were saying, you're not mature enough to be fruitful. You have no value except to serve us in our vineyard. Beloved, that's part of our problem. Is that rather than circumcise spiritual sons so that they can be fruitful, we castrate them and leave them with no issue. I guess I better say whatever i got to say now because this may be my last time to preach here. <laughs> They said, you, you're, you, you have no value. And, and so the king takes her away and marries her. And now they're coming up out of the wilderness. And she's leaning upon him. And they can't, first of all, they can't tell where she ends and he begins. And they don't recognize her. Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The very same one you said had no value. The wilderness transformation. And she looks like him, and her, and her voice, everyone say voice. He, when they asked who he is, he said, it's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Everyone say voice. Not an echo. It's a, it's a voice. An echo never changes anything. Nobody has ever said, my life was turned around one day when I heard an echo. You, you can't tell an echo whose voice it's an echo of. If it's clear, you might be able to tell whether it's male or female. But you can't tell listening to an echo who's, oh, that's Drew's echo. No, you can't tell that. It's not clear enough. It's too far from the original. An echo, echoes are not going to change anything in this hour. We need people that come out of the wilderness with a voice leading on her beloved. I love what Revelation says. It says, that when Jesus spoke in Revelation 1, it said His voice was like the sound of many waters. And then in Revelation 14, Revelation 18, it says the church starts to speak and their voice sounds like the sound of many waters. They sound just like Him. Yes. We'll finish with this. Thank you for your patience today, but we are going to pray. 
There's some of you here that need to respond. Your life changes today. You are, you are called to be with God. And what he said when he called those 12 apostles, he said he called them to be with him and to preach. To be with him and to preach. You are called to be with God and to preach his word in an hour when our nation has lost its mind and they might kill you for it. Okay. John Wesley said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. I finish with this. It's from Craig Rochelle's book. Most people take a long time to die. There are those few who go suddenly. Accidents, heart attacks, gang shootings, a soapy slip off the edge of the tub. But for you, chances are that at the end of your life, you will die in bed, waiting. And while you wait, you will very likely have days, weeks, maybe even years to think. To look back on your life. Imagine yourself there lying in bed and reflecting, reading back through the chapters of your life story. What did my life add up to? Did I really matter? What did I live for? Who will remember me? What will they say about me when I'm gone? Why was it important that I existed? So many questions. So much time. Will you lie there with no regrets? Some regrets. Nothing but regrets. Imagine. Or not. I mean, you'll probably have time to think about it when you get to that bed. So you could just wait. Millions do. See what comes. Wait until the final pages of your life story to see how it reads to you then. But that's no way to end the story of your life. Here's one more thing to think about. The decisions you are making today are actually making the bed you will lie in while you wait to die. The decisions you are making today are actually making the bed you will lie in while you wait to die. Or as we've often said around this place, when it comes time for you to die, make sure that dying's all you got left to do. Let's stand. Some of you that are in here, 
called to preach, you know it. You actually are doing it. If you would like for the Lord to touch you with a grace and a fire and a word. Pray every day for endurance. God, grant me endurance for fasting. Grant me endurance for prayer. Grant me endurance to seek your face. If you would like the Lord to touch you, this all our calls for you. There's some of you that you know you're called to preach, you're just not doing it. You've acknowledged it. You wouldn't consider yourself fighting it. But it's, it's slipped by the wayside. That's not okay. This all are calls for you. Some of you have been wrestling with it. Today's your tipping point. This all are calls for you. Some of you, that wasn't even on your mind when you walked in here today. You, maybe you're a young believer. You're just enjoying the presence of the Lord and the joy of the Lord in your life. And I hope you continue to do that for the next 50 years. But God is calling you to preach. This is all her calls for you. I'm opening up this altar right now, and if any of those for you, I want you to come. And don't, don't look around, don't vote. Hallelujah. Anybody else? writing a history book of our fellowship church of God at Apostolic Faith. People used to get called to preach. We haven't seen that much in the last few years. Well, that's on us. doesn't mean that whatever the rest of you are called to isn't important. But how many know we need some preachers in this next generation? We 
wait another moment. If you're sitting back there just because you're thinking, how in the world could I ever do that? I didn't ask you if you could preach. This service almost over. We're not going to make you get in a pulpit. I didn't ask you if you could. I didn't ask you if you were confident. I asked you if you're called. Hallelujah. Well, I assume that many of the rest of you are intercessors. And I trust that the Spirit of God also came upon you today. Play your part. Will some of you come in and step in behind me? Don't step among them, step behind them so I know who's down here for this. Come on. You're going to pray for these that they fulfill the will of God for their life. Well, I'm telling you, we're, we're, in a, we're a nation that is on the brink. Lunch is not more important than this. We are a nation that's on the brink. Somebody has got to hear from God and declare it. <clears throat> Stretch out your hand, begin to pray. Pray. I want to hear a voice rise up out loud. Come on. Raise your voice. Pray. Pray like your hair's on fire. Pray like there's a nation on the brink. <laughs>